Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. Is that better? Yes. The podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. How are you? Oh, good. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to the barrister, writer and broadcaster, Hashi Mohammed Hashi. I am number eight in my family's long list, and I am a couple of years older than Shukri. And his little sister, Shukri who works as a fashion designer. I'm Shukri Hashi. I'm directly younger than Hashi. And out of us five, I've got the same mum and dad. I'm the middle child. Since we've both had kids, actually, yeah. we as siblings have become even closer to each other. We're adults now. All the petty things that matter just don't matter anymore. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. I think he was just born with a purpose. And that was very clear from an early age. How she knew who he was, what he wanted and what he wanted to be. But I don't look back and sort of think, my God, why did we have to experience that? I look back and think, my God, we survived that. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Shukri and Hashi come from a huge family. Their Somali mum had 12 children. and By the time they came along, she was living in Nairobi with their dad who'd also left his homeland of Somalia for Kenya. Most of the older siblings from their mother's first marriage lived elsewhere, along with one brother, Ali, who did come and live with the family later on. After their dad's death, the family scattered further still. Shukri, Hashi, Ali and their sister Hamdi travelled to the UK without their mum and their youngest brother to live with a half-sister and aunt in London. Hashi was nine and Shukri was just seven. We talk about losing their dad and the tornado that followed, about learning to fit in in the UK and the discovery of baked beans. But Shukri started at the very beginning by describing their free range and fun childhood in the suburb of the Kenyan capital called Eastleigh, where they lived when they were very young. We were poor, but not starving. We had a roof over our head. We always had meals and we could take a few coins off the parents to go and buy snacks and stuff um they could afford to send us to school when it rained the streets was completely just sort of bogged down with mud and crap but we didn't know what we didn't have and there was definitely a sense of freedom so by a lot of standards even though we weren't rich or even close to It was a happy childhood. You can go in and out of people's houses. If there was weddings at houses, you could just go in and party and eat the food as a child. And not really have much of a care in the world until the sun sets and you come home. And what sorts of things did you get up to? What sorts of games did you play? I remember marbles, marbles against the wall. (laughs) 
or finding items that you can mold and make into stuff. There was one kid in the neighborhood that can make something up anything. Like there was one time he found wires and he made like horses and animals out of it. It was amazing. You know, I wouldn't say it was luxurious or anything like that, but it's one of those things where you learn in life that material things aren't always the heart of happiness. And that especially for kids, especially for kids being so resilient, you you have that power, you know. You talk about it quite wistfully now. I mean, I guess on a, on a rainy day in London, it's quite hard not to be wistful for that. Yes, no, it, I remember how different it was from when there and here. And as a mother now, I'd want my child to have that kind of carefree, explore the world and just see everything. And it's so big when you're that small. I remember some nights I'd see how far I could walk before I got scared that I might get lost. It was quite exciting to go that far. And it's like your parents not worry about you. What about your relationship with Hashi when you were little? Where was he in all these kind of marble games and roaming in, in the dark? Hashi was a bookworm. Like at school, school started around 6am, if I remember correctly. And you went home for lunch at one. And you didn't have to come back. In fact, your parents had to pay extra for you to come back. Yeah, me, it was I was done. And then there was Quran school which was around five o'clock. And for me, those few hours were playtime. Hashi would stay at school. I remember my mum used to bribe the teachers, this being Kenya and uh, this being a place where the kids whose parents had bribed uh, the teachers were always going to be the ones who got the most amount of attention. But one of the things I remember is I definitely was much more interested in education much, much earlier. And one of the things I remember distinctly was... I think I must have been poorly. I must have not been feeling very well. I woke up that morning and I was just telling my mum, oh, I'm not really feeling too good today. And she read it as me sort of saying, well, actually, then don't go to school, stay at home. But then when she said you should stay at home and not go to school, I was like horrified by this. I was like, no, I'm going to school. I mean, I just was telling you that, you know, I'm fine. And actually she said, no, 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 you should stay at home. You should stay at home. So she was trying to convince me to stay at home. And I was like trying to sneak out of the house to go to school, you know, which is completely unheard of. But we used to walk together to school. Some days if he didn't want to walk with me, he'll just leave me. And I remember to just run after him. But then when my older brother came, I think he had a male sibling around the same age as him for the first time so it was just like boys are doing this boys are doing that girls can't do this boys are doing this with today this is just for boys we were talking about growing up in Nairobi and um Shukri said that when Ali came over from Somalia all of a sudden it was like no no the boys are going to do this yeah. this is not for girls do you remember that Hashi I can't remember you know I really can't remember that you were happy to have another boy <laughs> but remember this though Ali grew up with only boys, Shukri, you remember that? Because yeah, Edifan had sons. no girls. Yeah. So so at the time, Ali was growing up with six boys. Is this your defence as a barrister for leaving Shukri out? No, I just think it's the context. <laughs> I think it's the context, right? Whereas when I grew up, Shukri was my first sibling. So she and I used to go to school together. We used to hang out together. We used to go playing together. She, she I don't know if she ever told you that she, she threw something at me that had a loose... Um, no, it was a plank neck. with a nail on the end. I was riding on my tricycle and he was throwing these planks at me. And unfortunately for him, the one I picked up had a nail sticking out of it. The loose 
nail went straight into my forehead and completely knocked me out. And I ran into the house to tell everybody that I'd killed Hashi and dad came running out. And then he started moving and I remember getting angry that he wasn't dead and he made me think he was dead. Yeah, exactly. And there I was <laughs> lying in a pool of in a pool of blood. And she's angry that, that I've made her think I've died. <laughs> I feel like she would have been a good um little wingman for your little boys club given that she was adept at lobbing bits of wood at people's heads well, I, I agree. definitely definitely and i i don't know about you shukri but i don't even with dad i don't ever remember dad treating you like a girl right i think dad used to always think of you as one of the boys as well really yeah and i i think even with other today yeah my our uncle he's like a surrogate dad and what about your parents what kind of people are your parents was your dad my memories of, of my dad are that he was this just enormous man who had this booming voice and who just commanded the most amount of attention in any room that he went to dad was dad had to work a lot obviously to sustain because mom didn't so he was away a lot. And now we understood that because he was working. But when he was around, he's very present. He, I remember he used to love the zoo. We'd go to the zoo so much. And I, I hated it. It just smelled. I had no interest in animals. I just looked forward to the ice cream at the end of this trip. That was it. That's the only reason I turned up. <laughs> I remember once I got into, into trouble at school. And I think I got into a physical fight and altercation. He was called to come in and get me or something. Dad was like, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. I'll take him home today and this is unacceptable behaviour or whatever. But then when we got home, he was like, did you fight back? Did you fight back? Why didn't you fight back? Because I can deal with the aftermath and I'll apologise for you, but what I won't have is a son who won't fight back. And I remember that really, like, vividly. It's a big lesson. It's a big lesson, you know, it's a real big lesson. And... The zoos and stuff that Shukri remembers, I don't remember as much, but I do remember him taking me to my first elevator experience. There's a place called the Yaya Center, and it was like a little shopping mall. It was brand new in, in Nairobi. I mean, it's tiny. I went back to it a couple of years back. and But I remember two things. I remember going in an elevator, and I remember buying a baguette. Those are the two things I remember. <laughs> That's an exotic day. <laughs> I'd, never, I'd never bought a baguette before. I didn't even know what it was. You know, I remember buying a baguette, and I remember going in an, in an elevator. And that was an amazing... And the elevator was a really cool one. It was one of those elevators, you know, that is, is glass. And, and I remember thinking, wow, look at this. I can see everything, you know. Then I went up and down that, that lift, I think, about 10 times that day. <laughs> And what about your, when your dad died? Can you remember that? What happened? I remember that day so clearly. We got a call that one of his workers had died on the road. And he had no family in Kenya to go and collect his body. Dad came, they told him. So he said, I'll go and, I'll go and fix this. So he went out. One of his truck driving colleagues had died in a, in a crash and, and he had gone out to to repatriate his his body for the for the family and he then goes on to die in a car crash himself dad had the same accident on the same stretch of road and died he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. he was thrown from the car there was a lot of confusion about whether or not he was still alive remember this is 1993 there were no mobile phones 
I just remember people saying dad's dead and I f- it didn't register but it I knew what dead meant but I'm like no not my dad no they, 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 that can't be right he'll be here in the morning and then I just remember the house filling up so many people I had to climb through the side just to get into the bunk bed and then a convoy of cars including my grandmother and others went to 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 f- see for themselves what had happened Hashi and Ali got to go to the funeral and see the body. I wasn't allowed. I was told to stay at home. I was there when they were washing his body. I was there when they were laying him to rest. And, and I was there when they were burying him. Wow, that's a, a stark image. It was. It was. And I, and, and, I, and I don't exaggerate when I say that I was literally standing over his body in the part of the mosque where they wash bodies. And I still remember the image to this very day of his face being sort of scratched. Peaceful, the stubble, just laying there. And I remember thinking, okay, maybe it is true what they're saying, you know, that it really did happen. I think the death of our father definitely made us grow up quicker. There is no doubt about that. He died in April. We were in England by June. So it was it, it was a bit of one minute, there's our normal life, dad around, mum around, living our lives, and then suddenly we're in a foreign country. I don't remember anything between dad dying and us coming here. It was just, yeah, a blur. Shukri's memory between the April, she said when he died, she said he died in April, and the June when you arrived yeah. in the UK, she says she's kind of collapsed those months in her mind. She doesn't really recall anything. It feels like a blur. Yeah, it does definitely feel like a blur. It, it goes from, you know, us at a funeral with hundreds, and I mean hundreds of people coming through the house because everybody knew who my father was, to my uncle who came from Italy to make the decision to many of my siblings ending up in America and Canada seeking asylum. And then we just end up here without our mum. And it's just, everything just seemed like a massive, massive tornado. Yeah. Sounds like warp speed. You know, it's just crazy. It's crazy. It's just like a, it's almost like a massive tornado. Everybody blinks and then we're in Britain um, and then your mum's not here and you've just buried your father. Get on with it. All within the space of, you know, three months. So how important were your siblings and how important was Shukri in that time? Did you kind of move towards her or pull apart from your siblings in trying to make sense of this new world that you found yourself plonked in? I certainly don't remember the death being a sort of moment in which we all came closer together because we weren't really processing it. Nobody was trying to explain it to us. There wasn't really an opportunity for us to grieve properly. There wasn't really an opportunity for us to to really digest much of this because you're here, you're now living with a half-sister you never knew before. She has two kids of her own. You're trying to learn a new language in a new country, in a new culture, in a new way of life. And then, you know, there's just so much going on mm. that, 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 that there isn't a moment to sort of pause and think, what do my siblings mean to me? And is this a moment when we should be coming closer together mm. and et cetera, et cetera. And what was your first impression of the UK? It was different. 
the first thing I could actually think of was how amazing baked bean was. I <laughs> loved Heinz baked beans. I could eat buckets of Heinz baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> And Magnum ice cream. Oh, my God. That was a revelation. I, that's what I remember. <laughs> oh, I was expecting was... to say something really deep. <laughs> <laughs> no. Shukri was saying that she was completely obsessed with Heinz baked beans. That was her kind of overriding memory of arriving in the UK, that she could oh, eat we buckets all, and buckets. <laughs> we were all obsessed with Heinz and baked beans. I think, I think baked beans and tuna cans were our thing. <laughs> Um, especially for us boys, because we were always playing football. So baked beans mixed with tuna on 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 bread was just like the fuel that you needed to get you to like 8 p.m. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And so what about your relationship with your siblings when you came over? Because obviously you'd gone from having your mum around, like you say, you don't remember much of her, but your dad taking you to the zoo and this carefree childhood to then being you guys over in a foreign country. Did you get closer or did you pull further apart? Oh, no, definitely got closer with Hashi and Ali and my little sister. But my older sister... At the beginning, the strange thing was, in Kenya, we spoke Swahili and we barely spoke Somali, where my older sister only spoke Somali. So now we're in a foreign country. I can't communicate with people outside because they speak English. And here's my sister who speaks Somali. And I barely understand or speak Somali at that point. What was it like in the UK, having sort of been dumped by this tornado into London? You had a new school, new language, new place to live and stuff. How did it occur to you? And I remember the most basic things, you know, I remember I was fascinated by pavements, <laughs> by street lights. First impression of this wasn't anything more profound than that, you know. I remember just how lost and completely out of sync with this new environment we were. And it's also worth adding, actually, that this wasn't something that was unique to us. If you think about every single Somali kid who fled war in the early 1990s, who ended up in Sweden, Minneapolis, Melbourne, wherever, this and what I'm describing is remarkably unremarkable. Mm. I remember one of my friends used to tell me how she... And they all ended up in Holland. 
this funny, funny story of how the Dutch had this policy for new refugees where they would take them to camps and sort of give Dutch life lessons <laughs> to these new Somalis who had arrived. <laughs> and the funniest and the most sort of enduring memory for her was her poor mum who'd never ridden a bicycle being taught how to ride a bicycle because <laughs> she was now me? in the Netherlands. <laughs> no, she was now in the Netherlands. And part of the culture here is that you have to ride a bike. And this poor woman who's like fled war, her husband's dead and she's got five kids is being literally forced to learn how to ride a bike by some Dutchman that she's never met before. Like that's funny, but also equally disturbing. <laughs> It's so disturbing, but but just to give you an idea of, you know, at, at, at the same simultaneous time, you know, this woman's mum is being, is probably falling off a bike and, and, and Somalis in Minneapolis are thinking that hell has frozen over because of the winter in, <laughs> in Minnesota, you know, <laughs> I mean, just, just to give you an idea that these stories are, were being replicated in so many places. School was a bit challenging because here you were in a school with kids that are your own age, but you just don't understand what they're saying. Or there was no bullying of any kind, but it was just our older brother, Ali, had a problem. He was always fighting, always fighting. It was isolating until the language barrier went. But it, it the biggest thing I had was, one, why would we go into bed when it's still daytime in the summer? I didn't understand so the whole sun setting at nine o'clock and us having to go to bed earlier was a bit strange. Because <laughs> you'd grown and... up on the equator, right? Where it goes down at six something. Yeah. But then even then you were out until it was dark and you were tired and you came home and you went to sleep. So when you when you came over to England and you've got Hashi, the black and white driven bookworm, did he help yeah. you find your way or did you find your own yeah. way? Yeah. No, no, definitely. It's... I can't remember ever doing anything substantial in my life without consulting Hashi first. <laughs> and it's the same to this day. I'm quite impulsive and I make decisions on emotion where Hashi's very methodical about things. Would he describe you as emotional, do you think? Is that what he would yeah. say? Yeah. And like, I'm the patient one. I'm quite forgiving. And so he always says, you let, don't let people take advantage of you you're too forgiving you're too soft but he also finds that admirable in me because he's not as he's he's very black and white when it comes to things mm -hmm. he's mellowed out as he's gotten older but yeah he's he's my logical brain I always say that he's my logical brain <laughs> and you just <laughs> borrow just, it when you need it <laughs> yeah <laughs> just give him a call <laughs> so definitely Hashi Hashi's been a stable consistent like reliable force in my life that I can't live without, to be honest. Shukri is the most forgiving, the most kind, the most sort of real free soul in, in our family, actually. And, you know, I would even go as far as to say that I have fallen out with everybody in my family at some point over something but Shukri is the only person who I honestly can say without equivocation that nobody else in our family has fallen out with her. 
And that's because she never hold grudges. She's always the most understanding. And I think that for that reason, she's going to live a lot longer than us <laughs> and she's going to have a much healthier life. And I, I learn a lot from her. You know, I wish I could be more forgiving and, mm. and I'm working on that thanks to her, you know. Um, what was it like when your mum, you said, came over in 1997? How did that work? It was like meeting a stranger for the first time. Remember, it was we went from barely having a relationship to being an 11-year-old, 11, 12-year-old, 11, who's meeting this woman for the first time. It's like, okay, this is mum. It was really awkward for a long time. She was in many ways a complete stranger to us, right? Because here we were four years in this new country and our mum arrives, she speaks Swahili, a language that we don't really understand anymore, even though it was our mother tongue. She speaks Somali, which thankfully we still do. But there is this generational gulf divide. There is a cultural mismatch. There is a mentality mismatch. And it was really difficult. But it was harder for the boys, because remember, they're much older teenagers, mm. English teenagers who... Rebellion is not something that's in the community back home. You respect your parents, no matter what they tell you, how crazy, irrational you do what they say. But then you've got two teenage boys who were like, no, actually, I want to go out. I want to do this. I want to do that. So the boys had a much harder time trying to communicate with her than I did. You know, she didn't have, in many ways, authority over us because we were like, well, hang on, you're telling us you're our mum, but where have you been for the last four years? What do you want to do now? And how do we process all of this, you know? Mm. So from that definitely arose a great deal of conflict and, and difficulties and arguably um, the residues of it remain to this day. Mm. And, and when you think about coming over from Nairobi to the UK to London, how do you feel about that now as an adult and a mum? Oh, definitely grateful for it. Definitely grateful. I remember when I was 19, when we got our passports and my aunt was moving to Dubai for a bit and my uncle just booked us a ticket to go with her. And at the airport, he said, all those years ago, did I make the right decision? And I say, yes, I'm glad we didn't end up in America. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but <laughs> thank God we arrived in Europe. But it's, I am happy he made that decision to allow us the opportunities that we have today. And God knows what kind of life we'd be living today if that was the case. I'd probably be a mother of 10, <laughs> to be honest, been a teenage bride. <laughs> so thank God. <laughs> With your family being quite so scattered, it's always been a little bit scattered, what is your kind of idea of family now you're an adult? Do you yearn for kind of physical closeness to family or have you made your peace with the fact that this is the way yours works? To be honest, with my older siblings, I know we're siblings and if something happened, yes, and I got a call, I'm happy to help, but I don't wake up in the morning thinking about them. But us five got the same mum and dad. We definitely have falling out or whatever like as um Hashi said the same he's the only we've always been in each other's lives unlike the other six 
some I haven't seen for years. And even now, when I say my brothers and sisters, I think of these these four and us mm-hmm. five. Um, we talked a little bit about the sort of reprocessing of the experience. I know you've said it's one that's shared by a lot of people, obviously. Millions of people have had the experience of repatriating due to mm. different circumstances. But it was your experience. It was particularly your experience. You're allowed to own that as well. And as an adult, when yeah. you look back at that experience, do you think that was pretty huge? You know, I, I published my book last year about social mobility ostensibly, but about this journey and what, what we've experienced. And it was only really last year when I started reflecting on it, did I really come to terms with just what we have been through. And you're absolutely right, you know, it, it was such a shocking experience. You know, imagine a nine-year-old boy or a seven-year-old girl, you know, losing your father, coming to a foreign country without your mother, with some of some of the siblings you've never known before, and just expecting yourself to just get on with it and not understanding the language that people are speaking to you on, not understanding the culture, not understanding any of what's actually happening. It is incredibly shocking, but the, the overarching thing that I learned from it, though, is that there is a huge amount of resilience in children. There is a huge amount of resilience in us, in particular, to have survived what we have survived. And actually, this could have gone in so many different directions. It could have really destroyed us, a bit like how it's destroyed some of my older siblings who have their demons and have their problems and have gone down a path that is a lot darker than ours Mm. um, through no fault of their own, you know. And what I always do is I look back at that and absolutely reflect on how awful and how serious and how shocking it was. But I don't look back and sort of think, my God, why did we have to experience that? I look back and think, my God, we survived that. Anything that happens henceforth is always going to be relative to that. Mm. I think it's really interesting with siblings how, you know, you start off as brother and sister or brother and brother or whatever, and then you might get married, so you kind of become, you make each other brothers and sisters-in-law, and then you might have children, which I know you both have, and so you make each other aunties and uncles. And I wonder what that dynamic and those new identities have been like to assume for you guys, because it it might seem quite poignant given your background. The best thing I've noticed about you becoming a mum is the way Abdi, our our youngest brother, is so close to Hashi's, uh, Shukri's son, Hashi. Oh my God, And 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 it's amazing, it's amazing how this boy who's got my name, I don't see him as much, I don't talk to him as much as Abdi does, but the moment he sees Abdi, my God, he lights up because Abdi... He loves trains and Abdi takes him to watch to trains, garage, literally cars. stand to see cars. And, and, and they literally go and sit on a train platform for like hours and watch tube doors open and close, you know. And, and so he loves Abdi so much, you know. That for me, it's interesting. I don't know if you feel this, Shukri, that 
since we've both had kids, actually, yeah. we as siblings have become even closer to each other because of the kids. Definitely. And I think it's just, like you said, we've grown up. We're, we're adults now. All the petty things that matter just don't matter anymore. Definitely. And it's just, we have a different platform in order to communicate and bond now, definitely. And I I named my son Hashi, and I couldn't think of a better name because, and I said this to Hashi yesterday, he's like my hero, and I admire him so much. And I remember the day that I told him I was naming Hashi, and I said, if he becomes half the man that you are, I'll be a proud mum. I'm, I'm also very proud of you, sis. I'm very proud of you. And I also think that, you know, my mum, our mum, got quite ill when I was halfway through my law degree and I was away and I couldn't really help her and Shukri was there and looking after her, going to the hospital appointments, doing so many amazing things with her, which actually also meant that that I was able to concentrate on becoming a barrister, doing what I'm doing today. And so I always say that I was only really able to achieve what I've achieved because of her. I definitely think that it's very easy to try and tell a, a success story that is incomplete when you miss out those kind of details and the kind of things that happen for you because of the sacrifices that are made by your siblings. So in that sense, sis, you know, this is as much yours as it is mine. And this, you know, it's been a painful journey. It's been a painful start and it was a rocky, rocky middle bit. And I feel like now we've got to a point where we are happening to life rather than life happening to us, if I can put it that way. Yeah. It sounds like there's so much hope as well. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. There's a huge amount of hope. So much to look forward to now. Definitely. Definitely start of a new chapter. My younger brother's very chubby. We used to call him fat boy. For some reason, we never really gave you one. No. Everyone else seemed to have one. Ali Ali has one. Remember, we used to call Ali Ambo, Mango. Yeah. Because he was a bit fat. I we used to call him Mango. And Hashi was always slim and tall, so he used to be skinny. Shukri, the name Shukri means to be thankful. Oh. Yeah. To be thankful. We're very thankful for, for her. Thank you to Hashi and Shukri, and to Tanita Tikram for letting us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Mixonics, digital production by Charlotte Griffiths, and technical support is from Dan King at Loftus Media. Please do recommend this podcast to your brother or sister to help spread the sibling love. And coming up, a special Siblings Day episode on the 6th of April, including a chance to share your stories, memories, car journey songs, nicknames and more. Follow us on Twitter at relatively underscore pod or head to relativelypodcast.com for more information. There you'll also find completely adorable pictures of Shukri and Hashi on the family album page. On next week's episode, it's the Irish sisters and actors Eileen and Catherine Walsh. of love and hate Stand by the fireside Another rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Only your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time It's didn't do
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.